Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. Welcome, everyone. Um, we're around class 23 or so of our 32 class structured study of jhana. Uh, this begins a five class uh, study of the Anapanasati Sutta. Uh, again, this is one of the most significant suttas, like every single one. Um, but this is the, the, the Buddha using um, accomplished monks, meaning monks that have actually developed the Dhamma to a certain point. Uh, where they could go out and teach others, which wasn't any long, arduous process. As, you know, many of the monks and many of the nuns later on um, would start teaching within a few months of just coming to class because it, it's not that hard to teach. You just have to experience it. And so, again, that's what this sutta is about. It's about recognizing um, what develops in the Dhamma. And if it's not developing for you, you should find out why because it means that there's something about your jhana practice that is uh, lacking or, um, well, yeah, lacking. it's lacking in focus and possibly missing, um, you know, just some key components. But again, if, if your dhamma practice is generating the results that are described here, all you need to do is find out why. Excuse me. The Anapanasati Sutta, Mindfulness of Breathing. Um, this is <laughs> Anapanasati is another word that is used to justify practices that are quite different than what we practice. Um, there's entire practices that are based entirely on breath awareness. Um, and then using that breath awareness to fabricate these other experiences as if that's the point of it. And so the Buddha taught jhana meditation to deepen concentration so that we can develop these experiences directly, not conceptually. So we're not grasping after it. It's just a reminder that if these, it's hard to talk when I can't, I'm seeing about 20 people in this room with the only four. I'm losing my train of thought. Where was I? Was anybody listening that could remind me? <laughs> Nobody's listening. That's um, and so again, as your concentration deepens, and you're in integrating the other factors of the Eightfold Path, this sutta describes what that should look like. I have heard that on one occasion, the Buddha was staying at Savati, the Eastern Monastery. This was during the Upasata day of the full moon. Many of the elder disciples were with him. Uh, I might have to ask one of you to read because I, think I can't see. Give me a second. With him, Venerable Sariputta, Mahamogalana, Venerable Mahakasapa, Kakayana, I'm just leaving out the Venerable part, Katana, Mahakasapa, I guess I'm not, and Venerable Maha Kunda and Ravata. Ravata is going to be, um, one of his poems are going to be the topic of Thursday's class, and it's just an interesting coincidence, but you should all tune in on Thursday. Venerable Nanda and others. During this time, the elder monks were teaching the Dhamma. They were each teaching novice monks with groups ranging in size from 10 to as large as 40. The new monks were hearing quickly and correctly. The Buddha arrived and was seated in the open air surrounding by the community of monks. Surveying the silent community, he addressed them. Monks, I am pleased with what is taking place here and the dedication to develop the Dhamma and the realization of Nibbana, the awakened state. As such, I will remain here at Savati for another month through the fourth month of the rain. So typically the Buddha would, uh, at the end of the third month of the rains, which is usually when the monsoon season ended, uh, it was then that the monk and the other, some of the other monks and nuns would then just wander around uh, the countryside uh, teaching the Dhamma. But the Buddha decided to wait for 
another month because of what he saw. And what impressed the Buddha the month the most was what? Would anybody notice? And again, it's not a, a, a you know a test, but and it's rather nuanced. What the what the what caused the Buddha to decide that he wanted to stay there for another month? Concentration of all the people. Was the concentration of all the people, or you know, yes, all of the monks were yes. well focused and. And how did he? How was it characterized here? That concentration. It, again, it's really nuanced. They, they were silent. There wasn't um, a lot of idle chatter. Okay. <laughs> and that, that to, the, to the Buddha, and by the way, to me and the rest of us, on, on, even on retreat, that's a sign that we're, we're losing our concentration and devolving into something that's not Dhamma practice. Mm. And so he was so impressed by the fact that all of these monks and their students were just sitting quietly. Mm. The monks in the surrounding countryside heard this, that the Buddha was going to be there and left for Savati to join the Buddha in the original Sangha. A short time later, the Buddha addressed the large but quiet community. Again, the emphasis on quiet. So shut up. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, really, it, it, of course, that's a sign of a well-concentrated mind that is calm and still, isn't it? That, that mind wouldn't be needing to generate chatter just to keep itself relevant. It would just, it would just be relevant because of uh, a mind united in its body knowing its own humanity is all the relevance any of us need, right? It's, we don't need to justify our existence or explain it. We're here. And because we're here, we have a right to be here. I mean, it's, it's not like a, it's not a, a God-given right. It's just a, a, a sensible right, right? When we're here, there's, there's, there's nothing um, that needs to happen that allows us to be here. And again, so what's the point? It's not to be out there. It's to find out how to really be here. And that's, again, what this is describing and what concentration and the ability to sit quietly without the need to always be chattering, whether it's internal or external, is the sign of an awakening human being, isn't it? A calm and peaceful person. And nothing that's unachievable. It's not a, it's not a magical or mystical state, is it? We've all experienced it. Monks, this community of monks is free from idle chatter and is established on pure heartwood. Whenever the Buddha is using the word, or we are, uh, the word heartwood, it's in reference directly to the Eightfold Path. That is the heartwood of the Dhamma, isn't it? It's the, it's, the, it's the strength that supports everything else. When, it, when people want to build a house, they use hardwood trees, and the center of that tree is the best part of it. And so using, using that metaphor from 2,600 years ago is just as relevant. This is the true strength of the house that we're building. We're, used, we're building it with the heartwood that's available to us, meaning the Eightfold Path. This community of monks is worthy of gifts and worthy of hospitality. That means respect. Treat, we should be treating each other very well because of who we are and because we understand that. This community is worthy of offerings and worthy of respect. This community will bring much goodwill for the world. Much good for the world. Due to their establishment in the heartwood of the Dhamma, when a small gift is given to this community, it becomes great, and a great gift even greater. And what is the greatest gift we can give? It's not money or food, but that's also necessary, isn't it? Or clothes or medicine. But the most important thing that we should be generous about is the sharing of our own mindful presence. Because that's what elevates everybody within the Sangha. And then, as we've, we've all experienced, then out into the um, the wider community. Not that that's the purpose. It's just a natural occurrence of a community being calm and peaceful and well-focused. This community of monks, and this is such an important point here, excuse me, that I'm about to cover because it points to the uniqueness of people <clears throat> that actually practice the Dhamma. And there's no inference that people that don't are somehow less human beings just a choice that we make but it's an important choice this community of monks then and now us are rare to see in the world this community of monks is such that it would be worth traveling for leagues taking taking along provisions in order to learn from in this community of monks there are monks who are arahants arahants are awakened human beings who have fully developed the Eightfold Path 
and whose mental effluents are ended. These arahants have completed the task and have laid, laid down the burden of continued eye-making. They have attained the true goal and abandoned the fetter of becoming further ignorant. They are released through right understanding. Such is this community of monks. They are released through right <clears throat> understanding. So we, as human beings, we can understand all kinds of things. Excuse me. And just like we learned in the Simsapa Sutta, the handful of leaves, that external understanding, such as um, understanding politics or economic systems um, or advanced math or geography or how to play golf, how to tune up an engine, etc., etc. We have human beings develop a lot of understandings just so that they can live in the world. But there's nothing noble about the truth of changing the oil of a car. It's something we do. And it, it's, it's true in the moment that we're doing it, that we're changing the oil, but just because it's true doesn't mean that it's a noble truth. And so putting the label on a truth that is noble means that's the truth that we should be looking to develop, which is understanding the truth of dukkha, understanding the truth of the second noble truth, that craving for and clinging to ignorant views continues dukkha. Understanding the truth of impermanence, that it's possible to, to end our contributions <clears throat> to dukkha. And understanding the truth of the Eightfold Path leading to the cessation of dupa, dukkha, dupa. That's the kind of understanding. So we put aside all the other grasping after that we have in the world while, we'll, while we are focused on our Dhamma practice. And eventually, that Dhamma practice then becomes the foundation for everything we're doing. And so then, that understanding that is developed in Dhamma practice is now being the framework for what we're experiencing. So everything that we experience is determined by the quality of our mind, isn't it? So if we can change our minds from grasping after ignorance and instead stop grasping after anything and simply hold in mind who and what we are in this present moment, meaning a six-property person that's having whatever experience is occurring. And in that way, because of a well-concentrated mind, thanks, Jen, we don't start attaching stuff to us that then becomes a burden. That because we have felt that we need it to be whole and complete and have a meaningful life experience becomes a constant struggle of grasping after and avoiding and we've all experienced that. In fact, we could say, I could say, I think accurately, but that's why we're here, because we're tired of playing that game. But we didn't even realize that it was a game of fabrication. It was, a, it was a, a, an, an internal game of monopoly, if anybody remembers that reference. It's all a big fantasy, but it seems real. And it seems we all have to get our houses on boardwalk, don't we? And we have to continually keep passing go and not rest in parking. It's such a perfect metaphor when I describe it that way for life, isn't mm -hmm. it? And so don't be upset when you're stuck in parking. It's a great place to take a rest. Be still. In this community of monks, there are monks who have abandoned the five lower fetters. And we'll get to that as we get into, into this. They are unbound from clinging to ignorant views. Their minds are continually resting in equanimity, a balanced quality of mind. Such are the monks in this community of monks. Look at them, learn from them. And here are the five lower fetters. Self-referential views, or ongoing eye-making. Grasping at rituals and practice that only continue self-referential views. If I bow enough or pray enough, I'll be saved. I'll prove to whoever I need to prove to that to notice me and notice how wonderful I am, and notice all the good works I do, and notice all the people that I save, and notice how I wasted my entire life fitting that view, instead of rec recognizing this is not me, this is not mine, this is not what, what I am. It is not for any human being's role to save any other human being. It's a human being's role to understand what it means to be a human being, and to so, and so stop creating conflict and distraction in the world. So maybe other people can learn from that piece, and develop that themselves. But again, that's not the role. The role of the Dhamma is not salvation, it's understanding. 
Another one of the fetters is uncertainty or a lack of conviction. At some point, we have to joyfully engage in our Dhamma because we know through our direct experience how beneficial it is. Not because it's, we think it's the right thing to do or even because we're part of this wonderful Sangha and feel influenced by it. What we should be feeling is that joyful engagement with the Dhamma because we understand what it brings us. Craving for sensory stimulation is one of the fetters that falls away. Ill will towards oneself and others. The Buddha continues, In this community of monks, there are monks who abandon the first three fetters. And with the diminishing of passion, meaning continued eye-making, with the diminishing of aversion and deluded thinking, having established the heartwood, they will make an ending to all stress, to their contributions to stress. They are in the stream of the Dhamma. They are resolute. They're developing the cessation of suffering. Their minds are inclined towards awakening. Such are the monks in this community of monks. Excuse me. <coughs> so again, he's describing the qualities of mind that we develop. And again, we're not doing it in a vacuum. Look at the others that are doing it. Again, this is how we have developed as a Sangha. We are always a, an example and a reference point for each other, aren't we? And we notice in the most gentle way by our gentle conversation in this room and by helping the newcomers, by, our, by simply sharing how we've developed it. And this is what the Buddha's talking about. So just as he's telling that entire Sangha to pay attention to the ones that are actually doing it, we are doing the same thing. And we have taken on that gentle responsibility because we know that's the only way we can develop the Dhamma is to experience it and that third reference, be part of a Sangha. And remember, the Buddha in the, in the Ratana Sutta said, we cannot do it without that Sangha. And this is why. And, you know, I found this out by when Tamara asked me to teach because I really thought I had, well, I know I had a, a very... Um, skillful practice and I was developing the Dhamma in accordance with the with the Dhamma according with with the Buddha was teaching but starting to teach meditation and then being a part of the Sangha as it grow as it has grown has allowed me to nuance out the Dhamma I think in, in levels and ways I never would have been doing if I was just sitting by myself and again my practice was bringing me great benefit I was calm and at peace for the most part. But being a part of this Sangha and learning from all of you has deepened and broadened my understanding of the Dhamma. And again, it's, it's here for all of us. It is this great jewel. Such are the monks in this community of monks. In this community of monks, and remember, this is very early in the, in the Buddha's dispensation, so it was only monks. But Again, it's speculation, within a few months or a year from this point during the Buddhist time, women were becoming a part of the Sangha. <clears throat> Monks who remain devoted to the development of the four frames of reference, the four foundations of mindfulness, the four right extensions, the four bases of power, the five faculties, the five strengths, the seven factors for awakening, the noble eightfold path. Such are the monks in this community of monks. And here are the four frames of reference, the four foundations of mindfulness. Being mindful of the breath in the body, and notice how we do this in every meditation session. Be mindful of the breath in the body. Be mindful of feelings arising and passing away. Be mindful of thoughts arising and passing away. And be mindful of the present but impermanent quality of mind. That's the fourth foundation of mindfulness. And the four right efforts... Avoiding inappropriate thoughts, words, and deeds that have yet arisen. Again, it's kind of a uh, quite a few words that just mean wise restraint in this moment. Inappropriate thoughts, words, and deeds that have yet arisen. How do we know what are inappropriate thoughts, words, and deeds that have yet arisen? We know if they do not fit in with right speech, right action, or right <clears throat> livelihood. If they're not resting in right view or we could call it, in this context, right understanding. 
and it also points to the um, the continued right effort that must be made within Dhamma practice. Um, yes, Jen. I have a difficult question to ask you. I can't wait. If, if they haven't yet arisen, how do you know? Oh, let's say to let them go. Yes. Because you'll have the concentration to, to know your patterns of thinking. Mm-hmm. And you'll know where you're going. I, I just had a gr- okay. great conversation with Neil yesterday, yesterday because he was able to do that. Mm-hmm. And he recognized it for the first time. And I think, and you've all recognized it. Has anybody not recognized the opportunity to practice wise restraint as something was coming up? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's just a thought of. Mm-hmm. We're not yeah. going. We're not going there. Yeah, yeah. and yes. and, and yeah. you know because of <clears throat> because you're now understanding your conditioned mind, and you know what what has conditioned it in the past, mm-hmm. and it, and it could it could be just um, a, 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 an askance look from your that's an old word. A, 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 well, we understand it. An askance look from your spouse could be enough to put you in a tizzy about why making, mm-hmm. but instead you get that glance. And you simply take a breath and understand you're not a mind reader. And you don't have to be a mind reader because you're simply a six-property person who's living a calm and peaceful life and does not want to introduce conflict into your own mind or into the others. So what do you do when you, when that, you get that askance look? Nothing. <laughs> nothing. Because there's nothing to do. It's not your askance look. I wish I didn't use that start with that word. Isn't it also, John, the acknowledgement that this practice is working? Yes, thank you, David. You're aware of not only when unskillful is present, but it's also, I'm aware, so this is working, which is that encouragement and joyful engagement. Yes, Mm -hmm. yes. And that, that, that refined mindfulness is what helps develop joyful engagement, which is so important. We, and we should be, and again, it's not, it's not like we should be, you know, dancing on a pogo stick because we're practicing the Dhamma. It's not, it, it's not like that. It's this inner feeling of, I finally found something that works for me. And of course we should, that, that should bring us joy, shouldn't it? <laughs> this is invisible to everyone. Oh yeah. And again, it's, yeah, I mean, some people might notice that you're calm and peaceful and smiling an awful lot. You know, that means that you're joyfully engaged, doesn't it? And you, somebody might ask you. I've been asked before. Uh, someone I used to live with all the time said, why the hell are you smiling all the time? And I answered like Krom just did. I don't know. <laughs> Abandoning inappropriate thoughts, words, and deeds that have arisen. But, you know, it may not always appreciated that you're not that you're not engaging in the game that's being played yeah, that, that, that when you're not when you're not forthcoming the way other people want you to be forthcoming you know here comes dukkha but what are you going to do about it mm-hmm. again re- remind yourself that this is not me this is not mine that view that askance look whatever it is that's out there is not you and again we don't have the ability to read people's minds we can We have the ability to read body language, but we're often wrong, you know. And again, if somebody's holding themselves in a different way, it's none of your business. If it's someone that you care about and you see someone in distress, you have the opportunity to say, "Hey, what's going on?" And if they say nothing, you take a breath and you say, "Okay, nothing's going on." You were just told that. Why do you have to have that nothing be different? But I did. What do you mean, nothing? <laughs> That's what I mean. I can't accept that. I can't accept it again. We've all had this argument, haven't we? <clears throat> oh, yeah. Not letting people insist that there's nothing wrong with them. Maybe because that's how they want to be. Maybe because at that moment, somebody doesn't want to have their faults picked on. Because they're averse to that. Or maybe they do. Well, you know, or maybe they do, but not in that because, manner. You know, that's that's the nature of the relationship at that yeah. moment. You know, you know, I'm going to tell you what's wrong with you, and you're going to tell me what's wrong with me. Yeah. And you, and you can spend, you know, you can you can be doing that on your 50th anniversary, mm-hmm. 
and wonder why. And you might come up with phrases that are sound good, like you never go to bed angry in a marriage. Well, that's a good idea, but you're really better off not getting to that in the first place, aren't you? And again, to me, I'm getting way off track. To me, that a marriage is the perfect place to practice the Dhamma, even if it's only one of you. Because your spouse is going to drive you nuts sometimes. They're going, I mean, that's, you know, that's just what happens, right? I mean, you know, I, I was married long enough to, to understand that. And again, when, when I was upset, and I mean, you know, if I told you stories, you would say, no, it wasn't you, but it was me that was upset, wasn't it? You can justify your, your anger, but you're just getting deeper into eye making, or you can, you can use your dhamma in the way it's intended, and then to use this sutta as an example that you're practicing it as it's intended, because you're not getting caught up in the world, you're not getting entangled again. Let me just go back to the beginning and read this, this part, not the beginning of the sutta. Avoiding inappropriate thoughts, words, and deeds that have yet arisen. Abandoning inappropriate thoughts, words, and deeds that have arisen. And developing appropriate thoughts, words, and deeds that have yet arisen. Again, it sounds like a lot of words, but what do we do? It's just ongoing practice. Developing thoughts, words, and deeds that have yet arisen. What would be the quality of those thoughts, words, and deeds? Well, they'd be rooted in right view. They would be expressing right speech, right action, excuse me, and right livelihood each and every moment, resting in ongoing right effort, a gentle right effort, and the refined mindfulness that is rooted in a, and is an ongoing example of the second factor of right intention, the intention to recognize and abandon craving and cringing, recognize and abandon greed and aversion. And how do we do that initially? Through that eighth factor of the Noble Eightfold Path of Right or Jhana Meditation. And that allows us, that entire practice then allows us to maintain appropriate thoughts, words, and deeds for the continual development of non-confusion and skillful qualities that have arisen. So as we're developing the the, the Dhamma, through practicing it as intended, we're able to, ahipasika, we're able to come and see for ourselves that this is working. And how do we see it? What are we looking for? That's what the Buddha is describing. That's what anapanasati, mindfulness of the breath. I mean, it really, it literally means awareness of in-breath and out-breath is what anapanasati means. Mindfulness, sati, anapana. The in-breath and the out-breath. Mindfulness of it. This is what it brings us. As one factor of the Eightfold Path. But it all rests, and again, in that concentration that brings wise restraint into this moment. The four bases of power. This is, again, if these aren't present, find out why. Calm, rooted in concentration. Again, we're not talking about the awakened fourth level of jhana, of of the fourth foundation of mindfulness, meaning ongoing equanimity. But, that you are experiencing this in your Dhamma practice. A calm that is rooted in concentration. Has anybody not noticed a deepening calm that you, that you associate with deepening concentration? Nobody? Please speak up. Yes. None of the 15 people here. Um... <laughs> <laughs> uh, Persistence, rooted in concentration. Right intention, rooted in concentration. And wisdom, rooted in concentration. Those are the the, the powers that we develop. The five faculties are conviction. It relates directly to right effort. And that is, conviction is the, um, it's not the antagonist to to faith. It's, It's the resolution of faith, meaning a faith that is constantly grasping after what it get, what its reward is for just faith alone. The Dhamma is not based on faith. It's based on conviction that is grown from joyful engagement with the Dhamma, Ehefasiko, seeing for yourself that yes, this is working for me. Conviction. Enthusiastic engagement. 
And that relates directly to right view and right intention. We recognize the benefit. We should be enthusiastic about it. And enthusiastic, the root of that is, is enthos. It means to be fully involved. And the, um, the other connotation is, is to be inspired. So, and we should be. We should be enthusiastic in that way, in a very profound way. Uh, right mindfulness, concentration, and wisdom. The five strengths, conviction in the Buddha and his Dhamma. Conscience, meaning regret at misconduct in thought, word, and deed. We should be, we should be conscious about that. And we should be um, very circumspect in a gentle way when our behavior is harming ourselves or others. And so there could be a fine line that we have to be mindful of, of not judging ourselves harshly, but having the conviction to recognize when our behavior is not a part of right speech, right action, or right livelihood. And again, it's a very simple thing to do as long as we are aware of what's occurring. When we're stuck in our conditioned thinking, we'll never notice it, or we'll notice it because of the, the results that are uh, stressful and agitating. But by that point, we're too far gone. You know, we, we, we've lost our mind in that moment. But we can always bring it back. And again, we're using the Anapanasati Sutta as an example of the development of proper Dhamma practice. When we're not, find out why. John? Yes, Becky? Concern for the suffering that arises from misconduct. That's our misconduct. Yes. Yes, it's always, yeah, mm-hmm. it's a good question. Because yeah, a, a, a savior could think, well, yeah, we're, we have to save people. That's mm-hmm. what that means. Yeah. And again, so, in the con- and many people have taken that and saying, yeah, the Buddha is teaching us to save the world, to be that fabricated bodhisattva, but it's so important to understand. And again, how can I change? I mean, I can change the world simply by changing the way I, th- I think about the world. And that's the point. And if you want to look at, um, use the word salvation very nuanced and very focused okay I've saved myself but I'm not here to save the world because I can't dukkha occurs it's part of the human experience and again, a mind that's rooted in salvation immediately goes to well why why can't we save others why is that not the point look at what's going on look what happened in Florida well there's many people from all over the country that had the mindfulness and the training to go to Florida to help. That's not a, self, a savior, is it? If you see yourself as a savior, you're not going to be a very good um, EMT, for instance, because you have to be focused on the, on the dispassionate um, medicine that needs to be present, not saving someone, right? And the same is true in all of our aspects of our lives. It doesn't mean that the world is going to flip and give up salvation and give up systems that are rooted in salvation. But we won't be a part of it. We will, there's a, there's a, uh, I almost went into Seinfeld. Practice wise restraint, folks. (laughs) Worlds collide. I had to just get it in. We talked about this on, on our last retreat, that we are sovereign in our world. And we, we all should see it that way. And it's not, an isolation sovereignty. It's simply being true to who we are as a human being. I don't want to be clinging on to everything and everyone else. It's a burden to them. And it's a burden to me. But what I want to be, as best as I can, is a whole and complete and mature human being. So that when I engage with another human being, I'm not robbing from them to complete me. And I have to if I think I'm lacking something, don't I? I then have to find it in relationships and food and drink and drugs and golf, et cetera, et cetera, because I think I'm lacking in something. We even have a word for that, don't we? It's called taking people hostage. And some people kind of laugh about it like it's a joke when we do it because we recognize that we're doing it. But it's damn hurtful. 
it really isn't something we should laugh about. I mean, it's good to look at the absurdity of that. We do it. But then recognize it's something that we don't want to do. Thank you, Betty. <laughs> Becky. Betty, <laughs> concerning for the suffering that arises from misconduct. Persistence for integrating the Eightfold Path as the framework for mindfulness and for one's ongoing life. Wisdom or discernment, meaning penetrative understanding for the arising and passing away of suffering and all phenomena. Everything is impermanent. Discernment, again, my commentary here. Discernment is the ability to see things appropriately within the appropriate context. So the, the appropriate view might change depending on the context. Discernment is a quality of right view. That's the end of uh, part one. Wait a minute, I think I went through part one and two. Excuse me. I may have. Oh, well, I'll figure it out. I will figure it out. But the next class will be picking. Yeah, I think I read two. Oh, one. No. oh well. We survived. Yeah. No. Um, <laughs> but it messes up David. Um, so, again, th- th- this is, this is um, I, I, to me, this is a lighter sutta, and it, it might not seem that way, but it, it, it simply is, it, um, it's a conversation that Buddha had 2,600 years ago that we're simply recounting today. And he's saying, look at the benefits of this wonderful practice. And if you don't see them, again, I find out why. Ask your teachers. You know, there's four in this room, and you know, really, there's everybody that's here is, uh, and there's, oh, there's one online and uh, two to become teachers soon, and Becky, <laughs> who knows as much as the Dhamma as the rest of us. So. Um, all right, let's go online. And for some reason, you're not in gallery view, uh, but I think I remember who's on. Uh, and I'll start with, with Tom. You see him on there? Oh, good. Good morning, Tom. <clears throat> Hi, good morning. <clears throat> Hi, everyone. Um, thanks for the teaching, John. Um, just, just a, I quite liked the monopoly metaphor. Oh, um, so, um, just a question on that because a monopoly. If you're, well, yeah, well, sort of. Um, so, if you're trying to win in monopoly, you're going to have more fun, right? Yes. <laughs> so, how is that applied to life? Um, how can you, I mean, um, what, what sort of an approach should you have to maybe, you know, is, is it possible to, I mean, yes, you could stay in marking the entire time, but you won't have much fun playing Monopoly. So, um, how can you bring that sort of, um, joyful, joyfully engagement with monopoly into the into the real world it's such a it's such a great question and you can't no you understand the joy of winning don't you and so when when one of your um uh, other players wins you understand it and you're happy for that because you're not taking the game this again this silly game called person game Life. personally and what again i think we're gonna we're gonna play Monopoly, one of our retreats, because it is it's such a good metaphor. Why shouldn't I be? I mean, I understand the nature of suffering, and so I really appreciate when other people aren't. Why shouldn't I be joyfully engaged in their winning? Right. So it's a it's a great question, and that's how we do it. We're not in competition. We're not envious with other people, are we? Why would we? What are, what are we going to do with getting what they have? Well, it's also the difference between a good game of Monopoly and, and one that you know, ends in a fight. Yeah, like or, all the ones that I ever played. People <laughs> slamming the board. Yeah, I used uh, to play Monopoly with a gun under now. Uh, <laughs> Get off my boardwalk. Oh, yeah. No, I, I remember grow, uh, when, when my family was young, you know, we, we tried to play these, these games. And uh, and one of my children, I won't name his name, was just so competitive. I know it. That, any any chance of, of losing was just unacceptable yeah. unacceptable to him. And again, think um, and not, and, not, think about that. Why? Yeah. It's uh, it's getting better. Yeah. <laughs> and it is that. But what a perfect metaphor. Because right. in that way, life is just a game too. We're, we keep thinking that we got to land on boardwalk all the time. Mm-hmm. 
And we can't. It really, free parking is a great place to be. Mm-hmm. I love this. You just <laughs> play the game without. Yeah. And I, I shouldn't be talking because uh, I'm a pretty competitive game player. <laughs> <laughs> but if you can just play the game, you just if you just get in right view uh-huh. and don't take it personally and don't grab onto it, then you can. And you really enjoy it. Yeah. And, and, really and, enjoy and, it. And, Whether you win or not. Also, what is your intention? Is your intention to be joyfully engaged or is your intention to win? Because if your intention is to win, that's not always fun. No, For it yourself isn't. or others. Absolutely. Yeah. Very, yeah. Very, but, very but it is a sliding yeah. scale, though. It very is a sliding scale. Yeah. 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 Agreed. You know, and, and the difference between, uh, you know, a, a nice evening playing games with the family and, and one that ends in slamming doors, uh, you know, yeah. it's just, you know, people finding their balance. Right. Yeah, but again, it's such a good metaphor for, for what we're doing. And it, it could say that about anything that we're competitive about. Anyway, again, why take a silly game like Monopoly or a silly game like life so seriously? <clears throat> and, and, and then we get to enjoy every moment of it, isn't it? That you know, when when we get taxed for landing on somebody else's boardwalk, it's wonderful we got the cash to pay, right? I mean, or where do you have to go? I think I forget that. Yeah, you go. You have to sell something. Yeah, you got to sell something. So again, it, it it you can't take the metaphors too far; they fall apart. But why take any of this so seriously? So thank you, Tom. I believe um, Kevin is online. Good morning, Kevin. Hey, John. Hey, Thanks hey. for the class today. Hey. How are you doing? I'm, I'm doing good. It's good to see you. Or here, I can't see you. It's good to, <laughs> good to hear you. I don't have anything to add today. Thank you. Thanks, Kevin. Uh, good morning, Mary. Hi, John. Good morning, everyone. Hi, Mary. Um, one thing that you said, I think, maybe midway or early on, because um, <coughs> there's been a lot um conversation about engagement and how that looks right Mm -hmm. and often it sounds like a lot of the time it it looks like we're recommending uh wise restraint right and that's maybe because i'm more of an extrovert that is one way to live in the life world right but that that, you know, I struggle with that sometimes, but you said something about your ability to bring out a more nuanced um, uh, teaching of the Dhamma because of the Sangha. Yes. So I appreciated that because that is a that's also a manifestation <coughs> of your <coughs> love and care and concern for the people inside them. <coughs> you know, so that's an out example of an outward expression yeah. of living in the Dhamma with an expression of love for other people. Yeah. Um, so that's all I had to say. Yeah, thank you. That's that's why you know, I characterize it this way. The most loving thing we can do for ourselves and all others is to take to the Dhamma and awaken. Because it is. I mean, you know, I used to create conflict almost everywhere I went for one reason. I mean, I just had to, you know, um, because my mind was always in conflict. And as it became less conflicted, I noticed that I was bringing less conflict in the world. And now I, you know, I only bring a little. I brought some last night to someone, but... What are you going to do? Matteo, how are you? Hi, everyone. Yeah, all good, all good. How are you? Good. I'm good. I'm good. The Captain John. Yeah. And, uh, so, uh, well, I equal what Tom say. I like the, the, the things about Monopoly. And, uh, yeah, I think like to play Monopoly as to play life, you're, you're, you're participating not just to win, but just to fully engage in that moment. And then... Who cares if you win or not? Yeah. yeah. Probably even in life, yeah. Yeah, but it, there is nothing to win, yeah. Yeah. What, what are you going to win? 
I mean, what's the what's the prize? You know, is, and it, is the prize worth learn, losing your mind and your life over? I can't think of anything in the world that's worth that. <clears throat> Thank you, Mateo. Tom. Did I did did I answer your question? I forgot to ask you. No, no, yeah, yeah, you did. You okay. Did. It was, um, yeah, and I I liked what Mateo said as well. Yeah. Yeah. Just I think it, and I think Mary or someone else said yeah it's that it yeah it's all it's all about being joyfully engaged right yeah. seeing if yeah as a game and yeah thank you yeah thanks Tom. Sangha mom. Good morning. Good morning. <clears throat> well, I like listening to what everyone had to say, and I don't really have a lot to add. I felt like this. <clears throat> it seems like I always feel like these these suttas hit me where I am, okay. or meet me where I am. And this one is especially. Uh, it's good because it gives you all the instructions. So if you're floundering a little bit, it helps you see the way. Um, so thank you. Very nice to be here. And uh, only a few more Saturdays left to miss. So I'll be back. Um, also, I wanted to say to Tom, I listened to your teaching, Tom, last Saturday. And I thought it was excellent. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. So clear and really, really wonderful to listen to. So thank you. Yeah. Thanks. Oh, thank you very much. Mm -hmm. yeah. I think so, we'd all. We'd so, all... Oh, I'm sorry, Tom. You'll have me back, I hope. Yes, yes. absolutely. Yeah. yeah, we all concur. I'm looking to raise the cake. As long, as, long, as, long, as, long as you don't lose your accent. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it, it, yeah, that's what gives them the authority, isn't it? Yeah. I thought I might, I guess. Do I have to keep, do I have to keep, keep giving, um, you know, baseball analogies? Mm. Or are you open to a cricket analogy <laughs> yeah, next time? Uh-oh. You should go to cricket. Cricket's fine. Yeah. Cricket's fine. Yeah. Stay away from that British football. <laughs> I'm a teacher, Ram. Oh, thank you. Uh, this was nice. Um, Is this, can, are you on camera? Uh, what, camera? Yeah, I'm on camera. Oops. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Uh -oh. What'd I do? <laughs> I touched the screen? You got the something. black screen. Oh, yeah. Oh. Hit, hit allow. Uh, hit allow. Let's see what we do here. Uh, yep. I'm developing a greater version to Zoom. Yeah. Locked. That's all right. We'll finish. We'll finish the class. Okay. Anyhow, um, yeah, yeah. We were talking earlier about about you know the setting of this and and uh, and deeper I get into this, uh, it, it this looks like a, a, a preparation for you know everybody to go out and 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 pick a piece of, of this uh, this teaching and 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 expand it. Just like what we're doing now. Yeah. Um, uh, there's a certain lightness to to uh, to this this teaching. Yeah, I think so um, too. Uh, and you, and he starts out that way as well. And, you know, with, I'm, I'm very pleased with what's happening here. I'm, yeah. I'm happy that uh, what I'm teaching is 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 bearing fruit for for yeah. everybody. Yeah. yeah, and even that, it just to me, when I think about who Siddhartha became and yet you know the he, all the only thing that he then cared about was are these folks doing it the way they should be mm -hmm. you know and again there's I can't remember the sutta now where he's I think he's talking about Saraputta and Moggallana how Moggallana is uh, like a mother who who's bring who rears the child towards adulthood and gives him that direction and it's it's just that you know that that attitude mm -hmm. that um, we as teachers have and again, it's not a salvific view, is it? It's just mm -hmm. let me teach you the Dhamma, right, right. and and this is what you can expect. And it's worked for now twenty six hundred years. Yes. <laughs> Thank yeah. you. As he's saying, it worked for me, and I'm, I'm, I'm just pleased as punch that it's working for you. Yeah, and again, that that's how the Buddha always carried himself. He said, you know, look at me. I I'm just like you. I did it, and here's how I did it, and let's get together and do it together. You know. Mm -hmm. 
It really was just that. The Buddha, you know, remember, he didn't really have any intention to teach until he realized that that would be the most meaningful way to spend the rest of his life. And I think it's one of the most meaningful lives ever lived. Because it's still here today. Is this, is this thing working? Oh, I, we have oh I know what's wrong with it. Hit, hit that. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. But that re- reclaim hose, that... Yeah, I can't quite see which button. That blue button. Oh, you hit the wrong one. Oh, well. <laughs> Darn. I was going to jump over there and do it, but... Oh, well. That's yeah. that. So... Okay. Hi, everybody. Oh, so yeah. they're off. Bye, guys. <laughs> Are they? They're still on your screen, though, right? Yeah, I think I think they're still on. Are you? Everybody still here? If you're not here, let us know. Yeah, they're there. Okay, good. I'm gonna teach you, Jen. If you're absent, raise your hand. Yes, please. Um, I have been just a little bit distracted during this talk. Um, because I it just I kept bringing me to. Recognizing how the practice has, ironically, um, I just this is my first September where I actually feel calm. Meaning, with the beginning of school, beginning of my school year, yeah. yeah, So, and I've I recognize how. Being mindfully present is the best thing I can do for myself and my students. What a powerful statement. Wow. And if and prioritizing that alone is all I have to do. Um and, you know, it means like constant pivoting, you know, constantly and when I heard you say, you know, the the lower fetters, one of them is letting go of rituals and practices. Yeah. And I feel like that is, you know, I mean, I know it is during that time, the, the, the rituals and practices of, you know, whatever other practices were going on during the Buddhist time. Yeah. But even the little tiny habits that we develop in our day-to-day lives Mm -hmm. that we divert to can be pulling us out of mindful presence. Mm -hmm. Because now we're doing this thing because it's what we did yesterday instead of what needs to be happening right now. Yeah. And there's this like profound realness, like reality, being like real with what is occurring that allows for a calm interaction with like 20 teenagers. You know, they, they, these habits are are uh, actually strategies of not dealing with uh, impermanence. Yeah. Yes, and they become superstitions. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Really, we, we, they, they become superstitions. We think we become rote in these yeah. beliefs that are we if think only, are somehow if magical. If I keep almost. doing this, I won't have to deal with this thing that just yeah. changed right in front of my eyes. Condition thinking. But also, you that there's the, there's an emotional component that, that drives that. Tendency towards habit, thought attached to a feeling. Yeah, yeah. and again, it's so. Jen, you're just describing such a nuanced aspect of the Dhamma that I really, I'm glad we're all here to have so listened to it. <laughs> thank you, Jen. Uh, well, <laughs> Dhamma teacher David. I, I liked your commentary. If something's not working in your practice. And what Jen said and what Neil described to you, that his practice allows you to wisely investigate versus grinding through and going through Groundhog Day and ruminating and, you know, that's stupid, but to wisely be able to investigate 
and be honest with yourself yeah. and recognize what Ram described as mechanisms and avoidance strategies that allow Jen to land in a place of understanding mm -hmm. and yeah. that's peace and calm and yeah. she doesn't have to revisit that again again she'll recognize it if it does so how perfect of a practice is that yeah I'd say <laughs> that's, that's a great way to put it how perfect is that Thank you, David. Uh, so, Jen, you have developed this level of understanding now. Can you describe that the different quality between understanding and wanting to be a good teacher? <laughs> and instead of understanding what it means to be a good teacher. Um, well, I just get, you know, to me, the wanting is just grasping, clinging, yeah. and distraction yeah now you're moving away from being mindfully present instead of just being mindfully present and <laughs> the continuing to remind yourself all you have to do is be where you are that's all you have to do yeah. to um, and then the natural outgrowth of that is that you will be a better whatever you are already. Yeah. Because all of those like tendencies, all of those things that I've done in, you know, 20 years of teaching, I've experienced, I don't have to hold on to that stuff for yeah. that, that yeah. to be there already. Yeah. So I have to get out of the way of that stuff. Yeah. I have to get out of the way so that I can fully... the teacher that I am yeah. with 20 years of experience but not 20 years of conditioning right and that, that really that, that's so profound Jen. and again it's, it's and it's so ordinary right in that now now you're experiencing what life feels like not what it should feel like what it actually feels like which is calm and again why shouldn't we be as the Buddha describes an awakened mind as calm if we understand dukkha if we understand the stress and stress that people are under and getting an askance look I use that word once more <laughs> um, and we, again we don't lose our minds over it and we don't force other people to you know by the conflict that we've yet to resolve so, um, this, there's uh, three more classes there was going to be five but four now um, but again this is such a powerful sutta factors of awakening John. yeah <laughs> well I, I don't have to be concentrated though I don't bother with that stuff we'll end with meta as we always do unless there's any other questions or yeah just a reminder I think everybody here is signed up for it but our um, our fall retreat on the four foundations of mindfulness it begins October 21st and we're going to be installing three new teachers on that on that retreat. Ooh, who are they? Can we know? Uh, it's, <laughs> a it's a surprise. It's a surprise. Yes, it's it's a definite surprise, okay. especially to them. <laughs> uh, and we'll be picking this up on the seven factors of awakening on Tuesday. Uh, again, let's finish with meta. As we always do. What? What can be fun? Huh? What, what will be fun? Oh, the the retreat. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> Again, take a moment, become mindful of your in-breath and your out-breath, and let that mindfulness of your breath unite your mind and your body. And these are the Buddha's words on metta from the Karaniya Metta Sutta. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. May all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, 
the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born. May all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings. Radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abided. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. Thank you all for a great class this morning. Thank you, John. Peace. Thanks, John. Thanks, John. Thanks, everyone. Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.